You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hi, I'm Dina Marie, the host of the Twisted Philly podcast, and I've got a question for you. Do you love podcasts? Because I sure do. And that's why the podcast community, Podcast We Listen To, is hosting their very first podcast convention for listeners. It's called Pottern Love. The Pottern Love convention is for listeners by listeners. It's for all of us, and it includes podcasts from every genre you could imagine, including comedy, movies and TV, pop culture, paranormal, history, health and fitness, true crime, and so many more. Our first convention is August 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2018, in one of the coolest cities in the country, New Orleans, Louisiana. And it's being held at the Intercontinental Hotel, which is a premier French Quarter hotel. The location is amazing. And the room rate can't be beat either. It's only $129 a night. Tickets are on sale on the website at www.pottern.love. That's www.podern.love. There are over 40 independent podcasts already lined up to present at Pottern Love, and we'll be adding more before the convention. Plus, featured podcasters have discount codes, so you can get a discount on your tickets. Be sure to follow Pottern Love on Twitter and Facebook for the latest convention updates, news, information about new shows that are joining, and links to a dedicated website just for Pottern Love attendees to book their hotel room. We can't wait to see you this August in New Orleans. Hey, it's Dakota. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the beautiful mothers out there in the United States. We're so glad that uh, you tuned in and listened to us this week. And I'm joined by a supreme mother, Tracy. Well, thank you, honey bunny. That's awful sweet of you to say. <laughs> and this is uh, episode 93 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed your lovely day. Would you like to explain to them um, the gifts and stuff that you got today? I got a really beautiful wicker swing for the deck, which I absolutely love. It's so comfortable, and I got some beautiful wind chimes. Um, also got a really cute table to set a plant on, which I really don't want to because it's got a... Um, mosaic? Yes, mosaic and a ladybug on it. It's so colorful and so pretty. And then uh, my daughter, Kristen, got me a real beautiful... Uh, Bird, bird bath and it's got a solar light on it so man i'm just itching to go outside and enjoy all of it thank you for that sweetheart you're more than welcome 
uh, we won't mention the fact that I got up at 3.30 a.m. to go out there and sneak and put all this stuff up so you wouldn't see it. He did. That, that's so crazy to me. I had no clue he was out there trying to hang this big. I mean, it's big, too. It's a big swing by himself. And, you know, you have to get it even and on the right hook and things like that. But he did a wonderful job, and I appreciate all your hard work. Well, you're more than welcome. So speaking of uh, thank yous, let's do a big thank you to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you support. Absolutely, guys. We love you and pray for you every day. U.S. US Suicide Prevention uh, Line is 1-800-273-8255. And when we started doing this a couple of weeks back, I didn't know how much of an effect it would have, but we have probably had more emails and responses to us doing that. Yeah. Um, than than anything we've ever done. And, you know, we just want people to know that in some countries, we had a, a young lady from Sweden write us, and she said that Sweden didn't have a, a hotline and said that their, the country, I guess, had ran, ran out of money and it wasn't in the budget to be able to do that. So it just went by the wayside. And, you know, I haven't looked into that, but, I mean, if that's true, you know, that's sad. Very uh, sad. People, people need help no matter what country they're in. And so, like I said, with with us, I mean, we're definitely not professionals by any way, shape, or form. But if you guys are in a country that doesn't have a uh, suicide hotline and you just want to talk, get in touch with us. You can send us an email like this young lady did, or you can contact us on Facebook or Twitter or any other means, Instagram. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you as much as we can, and hopefully we can help. But it means a lot to us to know that people are getting a benefit from this. Yes, absolutely. Let's jump ahead to a... Special thank you. We've got uh, a gentleman by the name of Kyle McCormick, and he's got a friend named uh, Will Shoemaker. And Will, if you listen uh, to our Patreon episodes for listener stories, Will actually came on a couple months back and told us a story. Mm -hmm. But Kyle McCormick just uh, got married. Oh, congratulations. And he, back in April. So Great. You know, and and, uh, Will wanted us to give a big congratulations to uh, Kyle and his bride. Well, we wish you many, many years of happiness. Always kiss goodnight and be kind to one another. You'll have a successful marriage, and we're very happy for you guys. And get up at 3.30 in the morning and hang porch yes. swings by yourself. You'll and might, just... You might have to do that one time, Kyle, but you know, just know it's worth it. Uh, Kyle actually got uh, Will Shoemaker listening to the podcast. Oh, so awesome. He wanted me to mention that. Um, all kinds of cool stuff going on. This episode coming up, uh, that we're listening to now. I have a very special guest. I teased it, but I don't think I said who it was. I don't think he did. No. Um, Tony Bruschi from Real Ghost Stories Online and The Grave Talks uh, came on, and I did a little something for his show. He did a little something for my show. Uh, but he's going to come on, and we're going to talk about shadow people. Oh, cool. Yeah. So if you guys obviously know Tony and know that our affection for uh, Real Ghost Stories Online, because they're the ones who gave us our first big break, doing this so i thought it would be cool to get tony on and tony's great at what he does so um, you guys are going to enjoy this it's not a nice little 15 20 minute chat it's uh-huh. not an interview per se it's us just, just shooting just, a breeze about yeah. uh, shadow people with that being said next week's show we'll have uh, a feature that tracy and i did earlier today we sat down with phil holmes from scared and uh lee Sowell from the formerly known don't break the oath podcast and the name of it now is uh, realm of the supernatural but we sat down and had a big uh, like a 30 minute discussion on loch ness monster 
Yeah, it was fun. It was like a little roundtable discussion, so uh, that'll be on next week's episode once we get everything all set set to go on it. Yeah. But yeah, it was fun. These guys are very funny, and mm-hmm. uh, I love their English accents. I do, too. And it's Phil, a big, big turn on. Phil can do... Uh, that's nice. I didn't really... <laughs> Didn't really know we were going there. Oh, well, maybe not for you, but I think it is. I didn't say it wasn't for me. I just didn't know we were bringing it up. (laughs) But Phil is uh, going to be reading us some Harry Potter books. I'm just kidding. He's not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's Lee. Uh, But either way, (laughs) Phil's super funny. And uh, uh, sometimes on his show, uh, his humor doesn't get a chance to shine through, but it kind of shines through when you're talking to him in private. And on this show, I think it shines through. So looking forward to that. Patreon subscribers, Amber Chitwood, thank you so much. Thank Chandler you. Minor, Christopher McLean, thank you, Christopher. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you guys so, so much. Tracy, we had a boatload of um, new iTunes reviews, which, guys, once again, a thousand times thank you because this is what helps us um, move up the charts. And when we move up the charts, we get more listeners and all that benefits us. That's how we get advertising. That's how we get more Patreon subscribers. Sure um, is. So all of that really uh, helps out. So we had uh, Gearhead Princess, I Love G-Man, M. Martin, 1010, Pod Fan 1995, Faded Rabbit, Gizzard 410, Clanson Star, Miss Z. Miss Mom, Kentucky Brass Brian, Bumping Uglies, which has got to be my favorite. That's actually a podcast is what that is. Oh, is it? Yeah. B. Jean N.B. And Casey from Dayton. You guys rock. You guys do rock. And I would like to say M. Martin 1010, if you're listening to the show, um, first episodes were a little rough, so I encourage you to just hop on up to some of the later episodes to see what you think, to tell us um, your opinion. If we got any better, we would appreciate your input. <laughs> My guess is he's not listening to this episode because he started from the very beginning. Well, that's true, but I'm hoping maybe he hops around a little bit. So that's it. Brings up an interesting point, though, guys. If if you have if you suggest to, for people to listen to our show, have them start with the newest and work their way back. Yeah, because they're going to get the worst of the worst in the beginning. I mean, it was bad sound and the yeah. shows were shorter and. Ricky and I were a little crude, and you know, that's not the show that we have today. So, yeah. you know, if somebody listens and they want to listen with their family or something like that, and they listen to those first episodes, they won't get past. No, they won't. So, forget the first, what, nine? Nine. Episodes. Well, first eight, first eight, nine was the first Rock and Roll Nicole. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, first eight. If y'all could do that, it would be amazing. So, this story that we got for you tonight is fairly different than the other ones that we do because I think. I think we do a lot of history on all the shows, mm-hmm. um, but we typically start off with the history, and then we tell the hauntings. Well, we're going to do it a little backwards tonight, okay? Because the hauntings, just to be honest with you, it's really not that much. It's uh, the the main focal point will be uh, the history behind the hauntings, and it's a fascinating story, and I think you guys will agree. Okay, great. All right, so. The place that we've got, we, we promised last week we would do something in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to do. And it's called the Keitler's Inn. Okay. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. I can't wait to hear about it, though. <laughs> well, the location is in Kilkenny, Ireland. Mm-hmm. Kilkenny? So, Kilkenny. Not oh, my I- God, they Kilkenny. <laughs> <Was> that- <laughs> oh, my God. 
Mm. Uh, okay, anyways. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll just pretend that didn't happen. Uh-huh. Anyway, so it, it's in Kilkenny. It's a little uh, bar and a restaurant. And the restaurant was established in 1324. Dang it. That just kills my soul. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I just can't believe there's something that old out there like that. That makes it one of the oldest businesses in Ireland. That the is The sad amazing. thing is, it's not even the oldest. That just makes it you one gosh, of the oldest. That is amazing. It's haunted by its original owner. Now, this name I've seen a thousand different ways. Okay. And I think the reason for that is, is because probably at this time, mm-hmm. you know, it just, they changed depending on wherever. But the the, uh, the original owner's name was Dame Alice Kilter. Okay. And she was born in the Kilter house, mm-hmm. and they called her Alice de Kilter, which I mean, I guess Alice of Kilter. Yeah. So that's how she got her name. And I think that's how a lot of a lot of it happened back in the day. Well, is good for her. You were I'm named after she, yeah. your p- profession or where you're from, or so you know, you would be John Shoemaker, or you would be mm-hmm. you know Tom Carpenter or Jill Prostitute, whatever your <laughs> profession was. Well, good for her for having that bar open. That's wonderful. And she was. Um, a hell of a businesswoman, mm. especially for this time, mm-hmm. because there you can imagine back in the 1300s, most business people were men. So she uh, did a, a fantastic job of yeah. running businesses, and we'll talk a little bit about there, that as we go. But the workers in this bar, they'll often feel a presence, and uh, it leads them to say, ah, there's Alice. Oh. So it's just common yeah. for anything to happen. It's Alice. So several paranormal investigators have uh, picked up EVPs here. And they've seen items in the restaurant moving her own. There was a young lady named uh, Mona Davitt. She had three friends that they were going to come to the bar and the restaurant uh-huh. and just kind of sit around and enjoy the food. They supposedly have really good food I there. I wonder what their food was. Well, this was like now, so this wasn't back in the 1300s. Oh. So, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> I would imagine it's standard bull. Irish bistro stuff. <laughs> so, bull. I said bull. Yeah, I don't know why. I, <laughs> you know. Potatoes, I would have got, but you, you come up with bull. I don't know why. <laughs> so, uh, so Mona comes in. She's got three friends come and visit her, and they took a table that was next to the stairways leading to the top of the bar. Uh-huh. It was daytime, so there was no candles or right. odd shadows from any you know yeah. flickering flames or anything like that. So they got together for a really quick picture, and a member of the staff said, "Hey, you know, let me take your picture." And they're like, "Sure, let's do it." And they used Mona's phone. Um, they all stood up and they took like three or four pictures really quick. You know, mm-hmm. she said for luck, she wanted to go ahead and push the shutter three or four times. Okay. So they get three or four really quick pictures. One of the pictures shows a shadow in the shape of a person right behind one of the young ladies. Nice. And then in one of the other ones, which keep in mind, this was four rapid fire, boom, 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 yeah. boom. One of the others, that same shadow is like at the bottom of the steps heading up towards the steps. So it it kind of eliminates any possibility that there was any light tricks or anything like that. And everybody in the group said that they could vouch that no one had walked by them or they didn't hear any footsteps, nothing. So it was like, I got my picture taken. I'm good. Now I'm heading upstairs. Yeah, it was the ultimate photobomb. Nice. Oh, wow. Would that be a, that would be a cool photobomb. Yeah. Now this is probably the most provable occurrence, uh, but by far it's not the only occurrence. Most assume that Alice is the ghost that hunts the place, but others uh, believe that it's a servant of Alice by the name of uh, Petronilla. Petronilla? Which, that's the stuff that keeps away mosquitoes, right? No. It's, that's not Petronilla. It's Citronella. Yeah. Well, don't I have egg on my face? 
Okay, and so that doesn't work either. Sorry. I think it does, and it smells good. No, it I stinks. love the smell of citronella. But we're gonna get into more <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> we're gonna get into more on uh, petronella a little bit later, uh, including why so many people think she may be the real ghost. Behind really? Her. Yeah, and it's all the way at the end. So, just a teaser. Oh, okay. All the way at the end. So why did we save the the history for last? Because that basically is it on the hauntings. We've oh, covered all the hauntings. that's it? That's basically it. So, I mean, it's just your average stuff. There's well, no, they're you kind know, of boring, though. It is. It is kind of boring. But we didn't pick this place because of, that. of the haunting. Right. That was just a tie-in. Um, I, I mean, I don't really know if the place is haunted or not. I mean, I'm assuming it probably is, cause, mainly because it's just that darn old. Yeah. The story of Alice, though, is a story that's worth telling. So we're familiar with like the Salem witch trials of 1692, and then you had the uh, uh, the Pendle witch trials in England that started in 1612. Mm-hmm. Alice, though, was the first person ever to be put on trial for being a witch in Ireland in 1324. Wow! I mean, you're talking basically 300 years before yeah. any of the other witch stuff. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah. In its own right. Obviously, this wasn't a common occurrence. Back in, uh, you know, this time in Ireland. So what led to this? Well, you got to go all the way back to the beginning. Alice was born Alice de Kilter in Kilkenny, Ireland, to wealthy parents, and she was an only child. In 1280, Alice married a gentleman by the name of William Outlaw, which is kind of a cool name for mm-hmm. the 1300s. So I guess Outlaw probably goes back way further than oh, I ever yeah. thought the term went back to. He had lots of money. As a matter of fact, he was what they called a money lender. In Kilkenny, so that would be, I guess, like a, I guess, like a bank or a loan shark, or that's mm-hmm. his only job. Her and William had a son. He was also named William. Her husband actually died in twelve hundred and eighty-five. Why? It doesn't say. No. Oh. But he left her a boatload of money. Yeah. That it did say. Now William Jr., which was her son with him. Uh, he was also a big business partner of hers, which wasn't uncommon back then to yeah. be a business partner with your family members. But they had to wait till he was declared an adult by the courts, which was in 1303. At one point, he actually was so popular that he became the mayor of Kilkenny. Or somewhat of a mayor. They actually called him a sovereign. But sovereign was similar mm-hmm. to what a mayor would be today. Well, good for him. In 1302, she married her second husband, a man by the name of Adam Blund. And... He was also a money lender. What's up with that? I, I think that sounds like a well plan. She knows what she likes, and and you may be onto something. So the same year, her and Adam were briefly accused of killing her first husband. What? It wouldn't. It just somebody just brought it up and said, "Hey, it just seems awful funny." But the thing of it is, this didn't hold a lot of water with me because he died in like 1285 and she got married like to this guy like seven years later. Okay, so, I was going to ask how big of a time yeah, difference it was. Yeah, it's a pretty big time difference. Oh. But you'll find in some of the other situations, it wasn't that big of a time difference. So, uh, But there was uh, lots of resentment at her because of her vast wealth. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be surprised that people were just pointing fingers at her. And then she was in the money lending business, which really wasn't looked at as a, a reputable business back then. it was They were more or less looked at like loan sharks or mm-hmm. like people look at uh, these cash advance places or yeah. stuff like it. So it didn't have a good reputation. So it, there, people just didn't like her to begin with. I mean, honestly, you have all this money. What are you going to buy? Well. There's nothing there. She could have been a leprechaun with a pot of gold. 
Maybe she that's what her dream was. I don't no, know. I can't. I mean, what are you going to do, buy more land? Oh, hey, I got a lot of money. Let's buy more land. It's not like you can go out and buy a cell phone or a new car. <laughs> well, but you had stuff back. You could still live in luxury. I mean, you could have the nicest of houses. You could have servants. You could have, you, you could know. have 10 candles instead of five. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But anyway, so well, good for her anyway. But just to give you an example, what kind of money they had, and this don't sound like much until you start realizing the at this time the average person made approximately one to one and a half pennies a day. One and one and a half pennies. One to one and a half pennies a day. How do you make a half a penny? Well, I, th- <laughs> I think it averages out through the week. Oh. So they had to make sure you get work on an even number of weeks, otherwise they can't pay you correctly. <laughs> oh. So in, oh, my gosh. Is that crazy? And to give you an example of how much money they had, in 1303, William Outlaw Jr. was overseeing approximately $4,000 or 3,000 pounds if you're uh, over in Great Britain. So $4,000 doesn't seem like a lot today, but when the average person only made a penny, think about how much wow, money Wow, that that's so interesting. I would quit bitching about my pay. That's what I'm saying. In 1307, <laughs> Adam LeBlond quit claimed all of his assets to William Jr. and also canceled any debts that was owed to him by William. Now, do you know what quit claimed is? No. Quit claimed is basically you sign over all of your property. You just basically say, I don't own it anymore. You can have it. Oh. So you'll hear that a lot of times with divorces and stuff. Yeah. To where somebody will quit claim the house when Mm -hmm. they get divorced if they're just giving the other person the house. So... That's what he did. Now, most people would seem that was kind of odd. So he just gave all of his merchandise over to uh, Alice's son. That was not his son. It was a stepson. So he signed everything over. Plus said any debts that he had owed him, he just forgave. Now, Adam had children of his own. And they were kind of pissed off that he signed over all of his possessions to his stepson. And then Adam died shortly after. So he signs over all the stuff, then he dies. So you can kind of start seeing where people might start being suspicious and stuff. Well, why did he die? I don't know. Why do you not get these details? They don't have de- they don't have a lot of uh, records from thirteen hundred. But he wasn't very old, though, right? Well, I don't know what his age was. Okay, they didn't say. So, well, that's a shame. So that was thirteen oh seven. He died shortly after. In thirteen oh nine, Alice married her third husband, Richard Vall. It's probably Vale, but I'm going to say Vall because it sounds better. He was a wealthy landowner. That's, what is she, a hoe? <laughs> I don't think so. No. Sometime before 1316, Richard Duvall was dead. Okay, so all the men in the city need to not marry her because they all seem to die. <laughs> her son made out like a bandit in every one of these uh marriages he always gained some some way financially from it just like the one guy quick claimed all of his well i wonder how long they were married before he passed well, it away wouldn't, wouldn't long because he died before 1316 and they got married in what what was it what i just say 1309 oh man gone. it's like a it's like <laughs> when you lease a car after three years that's exactly you know, like it's what it's like <laughs> you need to get a new one because you're just over it so after richard died his son also named richard he refused to give his dad's money over to her which was a widow widow's uh like a dowry mm-hmm. and he pretty much refused to give it to her she took legal action against him because you know she didn't have enough money so she took legal action against him and uh she ended up winning and getting the money so then she married her fourth husband john lapore which is kind of ironic 
that her fourth husband will be Lapore. <laughs> it's going to be. <laughs> and Ladad in about she, two months. Yeah, she, she married him <laughs> in 1316, which was the same year that her other husband died. So she married this guy the same year. Now, see, she is a hoe. <laughs> Come on now. Now, the wealth that Alice had accumulated at the expense of her stepchildren made them very angry, but also very suspicious. In 1324, her, first, her fourth husband uh, became sick and said that he thought he was being poisoned. Ah. Now, it's also interesting to point out that before that, her fourth husband and her were both accused of killing her third husband. But she was able to play it off as they were just angry because of her wealth and it was dropped. Then all of a sudden, her fourth husband, he starts feeling like he's being poisoned. And uh, after his death, the children of the three previous husbands and now her husband, uh, fourth husband, they all got together and decided that they were going to, uh, I guess, write a complaint to who you would do that to. It was, yeah. Uh, the Ecclesiastical Authorities of Maleficium and Witchcraft. There was actually a, <laughs> there was actually a chapter of the government that you could complain that to. So they sent a complaint in and uh, it was a complaint of uh, witch sorcery. And believe it or not, that was a fairly common accusation back then. <laughs> well, I mean, it really was. I mean, people <laughs> that sounds so funny. But English law usually treated it as like a petty offense. So it was like a, you know, you know, like getting a traffic ticket today yeah. or something. No big deal. At the time, witchcraft was a form of magic, and magic had always existed in one form or another, so it was just no big deal. Uh, popular medicine was pretty much based on herbal concoctions that were made by good mm-hmm. witches. That's what you did back then. You went to a good witch, you know, similar to what you hear in the voodoo and stuff. You've mm-hmm. got the, you know, people would go in these little small towns, and that's who would make the herbal remedies and stuff for you. It wasn't always about casting spells or anything. This was about the time, though, that witchcraft was starting to be viewed as devil worship rather than performance of magic. In the 11th and 12th century, witchcraft started being looked at as an inversion of Christ. And in in 1258, Pope Alexander IV actually made it okay to prosecute sorcery on the grounds of heresy. So it was a big deal now. Ninja agrees. Alice's stepchildren brought their complaint to Bishop Ladrade. He was the Bishop of Ossory in 1324. Now, since he arrived in Ireland in 1317, he had shown a very strict adherence to the church rules and regulations. He was very moral kind mm-hmm. of guy. And if it said this is what the church said they were going to do, he was going to uphold it without any doubt. That's just the way he looked at doing stuff. So he clashed with a lot of the local uh, Anglo-Irish and people, and he complained directly to the Pope when he had a problem. So mm-hmm. that's some pretty good high company yeah. when you complain directly to the Pope. Absolutely. Pope John the Twenty Second, uh, who was the Pope from 1316 to 1334, had a huge fear of sorcery and even felt like that his life was in danger from witchcraft. No way. So you're going to bend his ear. He's going to listen because he already don't like it to begin with. So this bishop was obsessed with the uh, laws of the church and morality, like we said, and, and was presented this case. He said, hey, this is a chance for me to be able to jump on here. So he seized the opportunity to tackle what he thought was an important enough issue which is witchcraft. There were seven charges brought against Alice. This, these are great. You're going to love these. Denying Christ and the church. That might be the most legitimate complaint on here. Mm-hmm. This is number two. 
They cut up living animals and scattered the pieces at crossroads as offerings to a demon called Son of Art in return for his help. That was an actual complaint. Number three, they stole keys to the church and, and held meetings at night. So it was a complaint. <laughs> Number four, uh. <laughs> that they emplaced, this is, this is my favorite one, I think, that they placed intestinal organs of chickens, worms, nails cut from dead bodies. Yuck. Hairs from a buttocks. A and buttocks. <laughs> and clothes from boys who died before being baptized. Into a robber's skull, brewed the potions that would incite people to love, hate, kill, and afflict Christians. Whoa. So, and, and to make sure that, that we have an understanding of what I just said, the hairs from a buttocks and the clothes were both from boys who died before being baptized. I mean, where do you come up with this as a complaint? <laughs> well, I don't know. I bet somebody complained about the innards of the chicken. They could have fried them suckers up. <laughs> so number five was Alice herself had um, certain demon as an incubus that she had sexual relationship with that would appear as a cat, a shaggy dog, or as a black man from which she received her wealth. She had sex with a cat? See, that's what happens when you don't turn Skype off. You get perfectly timed uh, yeah. responses. Well, does she have sex with a cat, seriously? Well, I don't I don't know what she did, because I don't oh. think she did any of that stuff. Oh. So number six was she used sorcery to murder some of her husbands and infatuated future husbands with the result of them leaving all of their possessions to her son, uh, William Jr., which then in turn impoverished her stepchildren. That was one. And number seven... She was poisoning her fourth husband, John Lepore. How about that? I think she's being and hateful. Well, and in the, uh, yeah, she might not be a witch, but she might be something that rhymes with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bitch! So, what was she poisoned him with? Well, that's interesting you say that. The reason that they were able to put that poisoning of John Lepore in there is the description of John's poison in 1324 said that he was uh, emaciated, his nails torn out of his body, Ugh. hair removed that was all consistent with arsenic poisoning. Wow. That's so, that's so painful. So the bishop wrote to the chancellor, whose name was Roger Outlaw. Does mm -hmm. that name sound familiar? Yeah. So uh, he demanded for Alice to be arrested. Now, obviously, this guy may even have been her first husband, William Outlaw's brother. Oh. It's not 100% known that he, but he, they're, well, it's how many known, outlaws well, could there be? Yeah. So keep in mind that, that uh, this guy's bishop is demanding her to be arrested, but he's a bishop, not, not a lawman, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there was some ability for the church to have somebody arrested under provision of protection of faith. So they could physically do that, kind of like a citizen's arrest, like Gomer. And the chancellor pretty much urged the bishop to abandon the case, uh, but the bishop just point blank refused and mm -hmm. said, nope, nope, I'm going to keep going with it. Well, good for him. Well, you would think. Well, crap. The chancellor refused to arrest Alice on the grounds that he couldn't until a public prosecution was held. So the witch had to be 
excommunicated, and 40 days had to pass since then before he would bother to do anything. So the bishop, so the bishop summoned Alice, but she had fled to Dublin, Ireland at this time. Well, I was going to say, I mean, they've got 40 days passed. She's got time to get the heck out of there. And that's kind of was the whole thing. So um, he followed the rules of the chancellor, though the bishop did. And even though Alice wasn't there, she was excommunicated from the church. Uh, the bishop cited William Outlaw to appear in court. So I guess since Alice wasn't there, she mm-hmm. went after her son. He was charged with heresy and harboring heretics. That was a big mistake. He probably shouldn't have done that because William had some pretty damn important friends, one of which was uh, Arnold Lepore. That name sound familiar? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was a chief judge and an official in a town. Uh, he issued an order uh, to block the bishop, and he arrested him for 17 days, which made him miss the day that William was supposed to be like appear before the bishop. That is messed up. He just basically held him. And this is, once again, just like Andy Griffith when he arrested, uh, was it Freddie Fleet and his band with the beat or whatever? <laughs> made him wait to... Yeah, made to Enos got there. I mean, not, you know, Roscoe. Enos. I mean, Roscoe. <laughs> the hell? Roscoe. Dukes of Hazzard. P. Coltrane. Right, so <laughs> the bishop instructed the, the, the uh, diocese where he was at not to do any baptisms, marriages, or burials while he was in prison. And that was a big deal back then because this was back the everybody believed in hellfire and brimstone. Yeah. And if something happened to you and you wouldn't baptize, you was going straight to hell. So, yeah, the, in the Middle Ages, that was a huge deal. To, and that was, he did that, obviously, to put pressure on, you mm-hmm. know, hey, if you don't release this guy, we get run all these risk of everybody in our congregation if something happens going to hell. So that made him put pressure on him. During the time, William Outlaw was trying to find any dirt he could on the bishop to try to, you know, discredit him. Yeah. Also during this time, Alice uh, filed a defamation lawsuit against, um, obviously, the bishop, saying that he was ruining her good name. She was excommunicated without any kind of a summons or without uh, uh, showing up there. So she's saying that she shouldn't have been able to be excommunicated. Well, she should have been in town and not left. Well, that's true. That's true, she should have. But that's right. Apparently, but you got to be served with summons. You can't just not, if you don't show up for court, if you were served and didn't show up for court, that's one thing. But if you were never served, you, you're not expected to show up in court. So, same thing. She was never, it just wasn't done the proper way, is what she was saying. So, she filed this case in Dublin's court, which then ordered the bishop to appear before them. Arnold Poor came and he spoke his piece and said that he was not bound to follow the bishop's instructions. And uh, and his main case for that was, he said there had never been heretics in Ireland. Ireland itself was known as the Island of Saints for that reason. And now this guy comes over from England and suddenly the whole island is basically heretics. And, you know, he said that we needed to protect the country right. and protect the country's um, image. Mm-hmm. And despite Lepore's plea, the bishop was allowed to pursue the case in Kilkenny. No so way. the courts found in his favor. So Alice fled to England or Flander, um, and she was never heard from again. No way. Right. Now, this story continues, though. Her less wealthy associates were imprisoned in Kilkenny and were personally um, examined by the bishop himself. And most of them confessed. William Outlaw was formally charged with heresy and uh, harboring heretics like he we were trying to get him on before. He confessed, and then 
pretty much begged for forgiveness. And he was imprisoned in Kilkenny Castle. This story actually gets more intriguing, believe it or not, even though Alice isn't there. Or Alice isn't here anymore. Only <laughs> our older listeners will get that. His intellectual friend pretty much convinced uh, the bishop to release him. So he had to, here's, here's what his penance was to get released. He had to hear three masses a day for a year. He had to give food to the poor and cover the St. Canis Cathedral roof in lead. I guess it had leaks or something. I don't know. Because remember, he had lots of money. Yeah. And of course, William decided to do what, you know, he would probably do on his own, which is not do any of the stuff that he was told to do once he got released. So he was arrested again. On the same day he was arrested, Alice's servant, Petronella, Citronella, I think her, I'm trying to pronounce this right, but it's Petronella de Meda. She was burned at the stake for being a heretic. All this stemming from this original case. She had been whipped six times on the on the uh, bishop's order before that. They used torture to extract confessions from people. It was legal if you were dealing with church law, but not with the secular law. Hmm. But the church could do what they wanted to. And that's how they were able to get all these people confess. to confess. You know, because when I when I originally see this and I'm like, oh, well, all these people confess. I'm like, so they were all witches? No, they just beat the hell out of them until they just gave up, more or less. No way. So the bishop never explained why he pretty much made her suffer the full punishment and why most of the other ones were released with money. So if they had like bail, basically, they let them out. Well, what but, the heck? So, but she was, and this is what it actually, there was like, wasn't really newspapers at the time but like public record, it said that she was condemned for sorcery, lot taking, and offered sacrifice to demons, and she was consigned to the flames and burned. Wow. No one had ever been put to death for heresy in Ireland before that. This is why so many people think that she's the one that actually the, haunts oh, yeah. the, the Keitler Inn yeah. and not Alice. Now, where Alice comes in, to the thing is the Keitler Inn was one of her businesses. Yeah. She owned that. And once she left and, and the courts kind of took over, all of her possessions were taken mm-hmm. by the city and the Keitler Inn was one of them. So this was her actual establishment that she spent time in and started. Yeah. And some of the stuff I read said she was actually born there. Oh, no She way. later turned it into that, but they said that she was born at that Keitler house with us, her name, Alice de Keitler. Yeah. I don't know. If that's 100% true or if she just owned it, but one way or the other, it was hers. William Outlaw Jr. eventually kind of gave in. He laid down in the dirt on his back, pretty much conceiving, I give up, I'll do whatever you want. And the bishop decided to give him another chance to let him back out. But he increased his punishment. He made him take a trip to the Holy Land on the very first boat available. So he did that. He gave him a bigger portion of the cathedral church to cover in lead. And he was only given four years to have it done, which he did apparently too good because in 1332, the weight of the lead caused the roof of the church to collapse. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I want why the heck lead? I don't. I mean, I don't know what the reason was back then, but well, that was dumb. So they didn't think that out very good, did they? Well, I mean, but you know, even like in um, years ago, when they would do auto body repair on cars, they used lead mm-hmm. instead of uh, like body filler and stuff that they use now, which is more of a plastic. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess lead was a yeah, no, but that's a big difference between a big house with a whole bunch of lead on it. I don't, I don't know. Wow. That's crazy. Maybe they were big Zeppelin fans. I don't know. I don't know what the heck's happening. So, anyways, that's the story on the the very first trial that, and you know, it says it was the first one in Ireland, but some cases I saw said it was the first one ever. Wow. So that's crazy. I'm not a hundred percent sure if it was the first one ever, but I didn't find one. Mm-hmm. I searched around a little bit, but I didn't find one that was before that. Mm-hmm. So how about that? How about I'm glad we didn't live back in those days. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's some crazy shit there. So, guys, I thought we'd go ahead and uh, wrap this one up by doing this little interview with Tony Bruski. Okay. Uh, this is a really cool. We had a good time doing this, and uh, we're going to do this maybe once every three or four months. We talked about it, short but sweet. And then uh, I think the deal with Phil Holmes uh, from Scared and uh, Lee Solway from Don't Break the Old slash uh, Realm of Supernatural, we're going to do that once a month. So it'll be a different topic each month, and then we're going to take turns hosting on the one next week. Phil actually hosted. Okay. So you'll hear uh, hit that, and I don't know who's going to be hosting the next one, but I thought it was going to be pretty cool. I love all this collaboration. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So let's listen to uh, Tony real quick. Very cool uh, guest this week. I'm glad to have Tony Bruski on. Uh, you guys, most of you will know him from Real Ghost Stories Online and a newer show called The Grave Talks, uh, which I think is a fascinating show. Tony, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, we go back, and as most of my listeners know, uh, I owe tons of debt and gratitude to you and Jenny and Real Ghost Stories Online because that's the show that brought us uh, a massive audience to begin with. We were out there floundering like so many other podcasts until um, being on, you allowed me to come on your show, and that got us so many new listeners that uh, to this day... I don't know that we would even be here had it not been for that. So I wanted to personally, again, thank you for that. Well, you are you are welcome. You put on a good show. So uh, I, I uh, it was great having you on. So let's talk about your show real quick. Now, Real Ghost Stories Online, obviously, you and Jenny have been doing that for how long now? Uh, late 2013, I believe, is when it started. I, I lose track. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's a long time to be doing a podcast. You know, it is. I feel like I'm like brand new to it still, but I, it's uh, it, it's been several years now. <laughs> so obviously, you guys were the main inspiration for uh, Tracy and, and myself doing a podcast. Uh, Love the interaction that you and Jenny had, and and the fact that you, um, as you've got the background as as radio DJ and host, and you've got the voice. But it just came across as something different. You combined that with a little bit of casualness and bringing in the paranormal. And I love that you guys used to talk about, you know, what's going on in your life as well as uh, what the stories were that you were presenting. And, and that's what most intrigued me about your show. Thanks. Yeah, we just try and keep, uh, I hate to use a uh, <laughs> a 90s slang term, but we just keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> But that is that is the beauty of the show. So I'm going to yeah. use that to springboard. When I first started listening 
to your show, I was captivated. But then I went back like uh, so many other people do, and I started listening to the backlog. The first couple of episodes I listened to was completely different than what I was used to hearing. It was more of an interview style show, and that's kind of uh, like when I listen to the Grave Talks now, your your newer show, that reminds me of those first couple of episodes of Ghost Stories Online. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the thought process on that show. Is the, the interview shows, I, I like doing them, and I did intersperse, you know, several of them throughout the years on Real Ghost Stories Online. Um, it's just, it always had a very different feel than the normal show. Um, so I thought, you know, this is probably like a different show by itself on the same topic. Um, and that's kind of why I kind of branched that off. Uh, and when we do interview shows now, that it goes over to the Grave Talks. And then the listener interaction, the listener shows where they're telling us their stories, that's uh, strictly for Real Ghost Stories Online now. That's awesome. And like I said, I, I love the show. I love both versions of the show and still mm-hmm. listen to both versions. So uh, it's just double the treat as far as I'm concerned. Thanks. It's fun doing both because b- both really have their own unique feel and kind of style. And I, I you know, one's a little creepier than the other. And I mean, they're both creepy, but you know, <laughs> it's just it, it's fun being able to kind of dive into to both areas, uh, you know, of of our topic and not always be silly. Silly is fun, but I, sometimes I just kind of want to take a you know almost a darker route with it, and that's what I think the Grave Talks kind of lets us do. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think that's cool to do that. We do a little bit of that when we do our Patreon shows. Sometimes we'll throw some true crime or something in there that we don't do on the normal shows just to give a little bit of uh, uh, diversity in there. So Sure. Now, the reason that you're on the show, we've we've agreed to do a little uh, joint venture to where I'm doing a spot on, uh, on one of your shows and you're doing a spot on this one. And yep. we agreed on the topic of, of this show to talk about shadow people. Yeah. So I'm not going to... Uh, mince words on this. I am definitely not an expert by any means on shadow people. I feel like that I've done the least amount of research on that topic of anything in the paranormal, which is why I thought it would be fun to do on this show. And we just came from a a, dual, a double tour of um, Waverly Hills Sanatorium. And part of that tour, Tony, they took us down to the fourth floor. It was almost complete darkness, just the ambient uh, light from the moon that, that crept through a few windows. And they were teaching us how to see shadow people. And it was literally like those 3D puzzles that you used to have back in the late 80s, early 90s, where you can't stare at it directly. You just kind of somewhat observe the whole picture and an image will come to you. That's what they were teaching us to do. And uh, it was kind of a cool experience. We saw stuff, whether it was actual shadow people or not, I don't know. But we definitely could see some things, and we thought it was a very cool part of the tour. So I will let you talk a little bit about what you know about shadow people. Well, that is really interesting uh, that they have a method to see shadow people. I've never, I've honestly, it's the first time I've heard anything like that. I'm wondering, did you get to see like a 3D dinosaur as well when they were... (laughs) <laughs> like the uh, the uh, uh, the pictures, I'm thinking back to the ones I used to look at in the mall, right? And just stare at aimlessly, like, oh, this is so neat. The technology. I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about that in in, in a moment about how they were teaching you to do that. Quite often with uh, with shadow people, um, it, it's not necessarily, as far as I'm aware, unless people are falling into some sort of you know, way that they're viewing and they're unaware of it, you know, it's kind of like when you daydream, you know, maybe that's how some of these get picked up. But I, we get stories of, of people seeing shadow people 
I think almost as frequently as people talk about bunk beds. <laughs> I got my bell right there. Um, but it, it's so interesting because it's in different ways, different settings, you know, different, um, you know, mindsets. And what I mean by that is they could just be in bed watching TV. They could be half asleep. Uh, they could just be sitting at their desk uh, at work in the middle of the day and they, you know, something happens. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of rhyme or reason to it. Um, and there also doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, consistency in in the shadow person's figure. What I've seen a lot or heard a lot in documentaries and such, I know there was one um, about sleep paralysis, escaping what it was called, came out about a year or two ago. Um, and I thought they really kind of did a narrow approach on, on what a shadow person is. They were talking about it quite a bit, people in sleep paralysis seeing these shadow people. And quite often you would hear uh, the person's wearing a hat and a cape and very you know, ominous type figure. But that's not common. I mean, there are certainly stories where, where people do have the hat wearing shadow person. Um, but I'd say more so than not, we have the... It's just it's a shadow person, uh, but it, it's not like it's on the wall. It's literally moving in three dimension through space, uh, through the area that you're in, almost, you know, just like a, a person or would be walking around. But you don't see it. You just see this dark shape moving and it's in the shape of a person, which leads me to really um, thinking a little bit deeper about the shadow people that I, I don't think they can be categorized into a box and after hearing probably thousands of stories now about shadow people i don't necessarily think it's it's technically a category i think it's more so how an entity of whatever it may be good bad and different uh it's it's like almost the strength as to which it's able to manifest and show itself not that it's only able to be a shadow person but i think sometimes that's all it's giving out and that's all that's able to be seen at, at that given moment. Maybe tomorrow after it's more charged up, it will be more visible and, and you'll be able to see it clearer. Um, but I don't subscribe to the thought process that every shadow person is negative, evil, wearing a hat, a demon, um, you know, or, or what have you. Cause there's a lot of, uh, blanket assumptions that I think come along with shadow people. I think they're discriminated against quite a bit. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the research that I was doing on Waverly and we got on the subject of shadow people and one in particular up there that they call the creeper. Uh, some of them call it, big, call it big black, but there's a couple of, of, uh, terms for it. But the research that I did said that most people do assume that shadow people are some kind of malevolent, uh, creature, more of a not human, not of this earth, uh, more of that type of, of figure. But your assumption is that it just might be that's all they can show at this this uh, this juncture. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I'm sure there certainly are some that are pretty malevolent and not good. We've had that, too. But I would say we've had more that have just been like, hey, there's this I see this shadow figure checking in on my baby at night and it seems to calm it down. And I'm smelling my grandmother's perfume at the same time. And that's all there is. And it just that it. it comes, it goes, there's nothing malevolent going on about it, but it's a shadow person. Um, and then we also have the ones where, you know, they found, you know, the, the cat's dead in the backyard and the shadow person's out there. You know, it's something really dark and scary. Um, but it, I think it comes in all shapes and forms. I just don't think uh, 
you're able to box shadow person uh, into a specific category of good or bad. You know, just just like most ghostly type things, unless it's you know truly super dark. Um, but then again, those things can show themselves in almost any shape or form too. Um, so it's very difficult, I think, when it comes to the visual visualizations of how something presents itself to say this is good, this is bad. Um, just like people. Um, just by looking at a person, um, it, it's, you can't say this person's good, this person's bad until you get to know them. What I thought was odd about Waverly is there are certain floors where you see the reports of shadow people are more prominent than other floors. And I just found that kind of odd mm -hmm. on why some floors would have more shadow people than, than other floors. I mean, maybe it has to do mm -hmm. with the history, but that's just kind of, it, seem, it seems like that they would be able to just come and go where they want and they wouldn't necessarily sure. be locked down, so to speak. My guess would be that it has something to do with, with either one of two things. And there's, there's probably a reason they're still there. Either it's, it's the familiar place where they're, they were, I don't know, happy. It's a difficult thing to say in a place like Waverly. But that's sometimes the reason why you have more things in a specific area. Probably not necessarily the case with Waverly. Um, the other would probably be an area where there was trauma of some sort and, and it's, that's that's why it's going on in those specific areas because maybe more incidents of that occurred uh, in in the lifetime of of whatever entity is there, um, and that's why it's it's in those or condensed to those specific areas. On the uh, I, you you had mentioned you wanted to hear a little more about the how to view the shadow people according to them. Yeah, according to them, they took us down. They, we were in a dark hallway. The visibility was really low because of how dark it was. So once somebody walked, they would have somebody walk down a hall while the rest of the group watched. And you probably, it's like fog. Once they got past about maybe eight or 10 feet, you really couldn't see much but a shadow of them. But you could see a little bit of, you know, backlight. So you could make out where they were, but then you would notice light fluctuations. You would notice it looked like, and everybody, they didn't really say, look here. Everybody kind of noticed at the same time that they could see stuff. And, you know, we're up on the fourth floor. There's no trees or anything like that that can be causing uh, um, any kind of reflections coming through the window. So we were up too tall for any of that stuff. But it was kind of odd just to see the different light infractions and to see it would change a little bit. It, but it really did look like images approaching the person, like several coming at one time. But then when they would ask the people down there, what do you feel? They would all talk about it was much colder there, even though it was the same temperature as the rest of the building. Um, and then when they'd have them walk back, they would have them hold their hands straight out like you were doing an airplane motion. And you noticed as they come back, it looked like that their arms were extremely elongated. Everybody picked up on it. Matter of fact, they didn't even tell anybody. They just said, what do you see? And people were like, oh, their arms are longer. And they're like, that just started happening a year and a half ago. Uh, so it reminded me of that scene of Ghost. When the guy came up at the end and all the little figures just kind of rushed to him, that's kind of what it seemed like. You just couldn't see it as well as that. I thought you were going to say it reminds you of the scene in Ghost where they're doing pottery. <laughs> no, that was the second floor. Okay. <laughs> but I was going to break into a Patrick Swayze song just for just for the heck of it. <laughs> but yeah, that was it. Was a cool it was a cool aspect. It was probably the most fun part of the tour. That's neat. That's an interesting, you know, way of, of looking at it, a way of, of presenting uh, 
an option for for possibly seeing those things and not just kind of luck of the draw. Yeah, and it didn't seem like anything there was malevolent by any means. It's like they were just curious. Sure. Sure. Interesting. I mean, that, that's a place I've always wanted to uh, to go. Good luck ever getting Jenny there. But um, it, it certainly looks like it looked like you had a fun time. I saw some of your pictures up on uh, on your Facebook page. Well, yeah, and you know, you've got some cool places out by you. You're not too far from uh, the Crescent Hotel, and yep. you're you're not that far from uh, was it uh, Limp Mansion? So you got some cool places out by you too. There's a lot of interesting places out here. Um, very few have I ever actually gotten to walk into. I, I, Jenny the other day actually said, I think I'll actually walk into the Crescent. Uh, we can't stay there, but, <laughs> but she may enter through the doorway. Uh, so I'm kind of excited about that next time uh, we're, uh, we're in Eureka Springs. Awesome. Tony, tell everybody how they can uh, find you on uh, social media. Sure. Uh, you can uh, find us. Uh, really, I think the best thing to do, uh, rather than give out all the social media addresses, just go to our website, realghoststoriesonline.com. The links are all up there for our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. Uh, just Real Ghost Stories Online would be a good starting point to uh, to find us in wherever, whatever uh, social media platform you use. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, you uh, you guys are some of my podcasting heroes, and it's been a year or so since we've had you on. You were our first uh, actual guest that we ever had on this show, and and, uh, I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on again. All right. Thank you, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. So it seems like the Waverly story just seems to keep creeping into everything. That was such a cool experience. And Mm -hmm. I know when we talked about doing that, and we set that up even before we went to Waverly, and we were talking about shadow people, and uh, (laughs) he had mentioned that that's, you know, Ninja's excited about she He sees shadow people, and that's why he barks like that. But no, I thought that was pretty fun. So... Guys, thank you so much. I have no idea what we're doing next week. I barely found out what we're doing this week. So, <laughs> But uh, we'll get it figured out. We'll get you another good one. I know, like I said, the, we got the Phil Holmes and, and uh, Lee Solway thing on there for next week. So that's pretty cool, talking about the Loch Ness Monster. Don't forget, Potter and Love coming up in uh, August 10th to the 12th in New Orleans, Louisiana. So many great shows going to be there. Can't wait. We're excited as, as all get out. And remember, you can get a discount on tickets. Just go to the website, potter.love, and put in Hillbilly as your code, and you can save some money. But uh, we love you guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a great week, guys. Love ya. Hey, Hillbillies. If you guys enjoy what we do here on the show every week and appreciate all the hard work we put into it, consider being one of our Patreon supporters. All you got to do is go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, Click on the tab for donations and you'll see the Patreon link right there. Click on it and you can go to our Patreon page. Then you will have a decision to make. You can choose the $1, the $3, the $5, or the $10 donation. Each one gets you different things a month, but regardless, you get some free stuff. Just check out the bonuses under each tier and you'll see what you get for free for that month, but you'll get something free regardless. Also, if you'd like to buy any Hillbilly Horror Story merch, you're also in the right place on the website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Just click on the store page and see whatever it is that you like. Click on a few links, send a little bit of money, and your item will be on its way. Thank you guys so much for all of your support. We love you, we thank you, and we appreciate you.